Welcome to an episode of Love Me, the podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Tittle, and this is my self-love journey. I believe that loving yourself should be easy. It should be second nature, but I know firsthand that it isn't. Together on this podcast, or better yet, on this journey, we'll be learning what we can do to make it easy, to make it so that it is second nature. Each episode, I will be having conversations with all kinds of badass humans, conversations with coaches, experts, and regular people. I will be bringing to light what steps are best to achieve a level of self-love that feels right for you. We will explore activities, routines, habits, and mindsets we can use to best accept ourselves, best care for ourselves, and of course, to best love ourselves. Hello, 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 everybody. Guess who's back, 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 we're back, 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 and by we, I mean me. I always refer to myself as a group when I do this because I think that there's more people involved, but really it's just me. So I'm back and I'm very, very happy to be back and I'm super grateful as always that you guys have stuck through with me during my little hiatus and of course grateful that you're listening to me here once again. I have to admit when I decided to take some time off, I thought it might be like a month And then, of course, I blinked, and now it's mid-March. So three whole months have gone by, and in some ways it feels like it's been ages, and in others, I feel like New Year's Eve was maybe a week and a half ago. So I don't know if anybody else is feeling that. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's very cliche, but I really do believe now at this point that as you get older, time flies faster. So all the more reason to continue our journey of being our happiest and healthiest selves, of loving ourselves, and just saying no to fear and no to anything that doesn't feel good. So personally, that's what I'm heading into with 2020. And uh, I'm recording this on Sunday, March 15th. So things are a little crazy right now with COVID-19. I'm I'm incredibly lucky to live in Canada. We are, you know, somewhere that has free healthcare. And as far as I can tell at this moment, the government has taken all the precautions needed. Um, But of course, it's still affecting us. Uh, Selfishly, I had to cancel a trip with some friends. And um, chances are I'm going to have to cancel a couple of other trips I had planned. And things are not normal, let's say. There are some people doing a little bit too much shopping of toilet paper and canned goods, making everyone else a little concerned. Um, However, we're still very fortunate. And I just want to say, although I am not a professional in any way, as you all know, if you've listened to me before, I make sure to tell you all that. I just think that now more than ever, we should just remember to breathe, remember to stay as positive as we can you know, and don't forget to tell people you love them. I'm not saying that because people are going to die or anything morbid like that, but I just think it's just a reminder that there are a lot of things out of our control in this world and in our lifetime, and it's never a bad idea to just be happy, to focus on good things, to spend time with people that mean a lot to you, spend time with people that make you feel good, and to let them know that you love them. I just think that Personally, now more than ever, I've realized that that's exactly how I do want to be spending every day of my life, whether or not there's a pandemic or not. Also, wash your hands. You know, can't hurt, right? (laughs) So, 
I feel like I have so much to say, but I almost feel nervous because it's been a while since I've recorded with you guys. So I apologize if I'm sort of stumbling through this one. Um, we'll get back to normal soon. I want to say thank you again um, to you guys for sticking through my hiatus with me. I'm incredibly surprised and thankful that the number of listeners has actually grown while I've been off the air. So I'm not sure if you're telling your friends or if more people have just stumbled upon this little episode or this little show that could. Um, but like always, I'm very grateful. And I do realize that if that was in fact a drinking game, there would be a lot of shots for every time I said the word grateful. <laughs> but I can't help it. I am. So thank you for that. Thank you for sticking through with me. I've spent the last three months, like I said, honestly, some of it has just flown by so quickly that it doesn't feel like it's been that long. But I've just been, you know, focusing inwards a little bit. And and I've started really focusing on writing my book, which is incredibly exciting and challenging. You know, it's a c consistent battle to, for me personally anyway, with this project of writing to quiet my self-doubt you know so easily I just want to be like uh you're not good enough this is never gonna make it like you're not even gonna finish this book why are you wasting your time but when I can get through that and start writing then I literally it's like bliss it's like my favorite activity and I know other people feel the same way about whatever it is that they're trying to do so let's just try to stick through that together and just remind ourselves of how worth it it is to do the things that we love and Honestly, worst case scenario, it doesn't become a profitable activity. And I think that that's something we should discuss. You know, so many people emphasize so much on money. And of course, you know, like my dream is to become a successful author. And if that was my sole profession, that would be incredible. But I also think it's totally okay for me to have a full-time job and also write on the side. And you know, even just to say I finished a book should be enough. It doesn't have to be that I finish it, self-publish it, become number one on Amazon and earn enough money to quit my job. You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be that we put so much emphasis on our goals. So if anybody out there is listening to this and they have something that they love, but they're feeling a little bit down about it or they're being a little bit too mean on themselves or too hard on themselves when it comes to the finished product, just remember that you know, we should really just love the journey of it and not so much the finished product. And if it makes you feel good in that moment, spend as much time as you possibly can on it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I don't think success comes from financial gain. I think success comes from completion and joy within that project. Yeah, so on top of that, I've also um, just been working and hanging out with friends and just kind of, I don't know, settling into an everyday life of peace. And, um, you know, it's not that long ago that, you know, I really feel like it was last, yeah, I would say it's last summer if I'm realistic, that I kind of officially had control on every aspect of my depression. And then after depression, it was anxiety that I had to work through. So now I feel really lucky that I am completely in control again. And, but it's still sort of a new feeling, and I, I realize that that might sound strange to people that have never experienced it before, but I started suffering from depression when I was 19. So basically my entire adulthood has been 
me not wanting to do very much and, you know, feeling really bad about myself, feeling incredibly self-conscious. So here I am now at 27 and I feel great um, and I'm really excited about life and I've got all these incredible goals and wonderful people in my life, but I still have a lot of really awful habits that I'm trying to get over. Um, you know, habits that were developed as comfort through depression and also just developed through my depression, you know, like they were what I could do. So I maybe still watch a little too much more TV than I'd like. Maybe I'm, you know, I'm not eating as much healthy as I'd like, or I don't exercise as much, things like that. So I'm just trying to, I don't know, develop a new lifestyle or a new everyday that feels really good but also doesn't feel too forced. So there are things that I force myself to do because I know that they're better for me, but I'm just trying to find fun ways to do them. So, you know, I've started to do these like dance classes with my sister, which is amazing. And, um, you know, I'm trying to eat healthier, but without extreme restrictions so that I don't feel the need to binge or to give up on it and then spend two weeks eating everything else. So I'm trying to find my moderation and I'm absolutely not preaching to anybody about theirs because I haven't found mine yet. So who am I to say? But that is really something I've been focusing on. And I just want to give a little shout out to anybody else that's been doing the same because it's really, really not easy to rewrite habits. And specifically, if you're trying to rewrite more than one, um, it's, it's really challenging. So I give you guys mad props and I wish you all the success with it. And whatever success looks like to you is what is important about that. But I think that that's pretty common given the new year. Um, And it's probably what a lot of people have been doing for the last few weeks. So yeah, just a little boost to anybody that's, you know, starting to waver or, or, you know, feeling a little frustrated with with the challenge of it. And I just want you to know that you guys, even I think the thought of acknowledging that you need to change your habit or wanting to change your habit is a really good step. So congratulations to all of you and anybody that has succeeded. Massive congratulations. I really hope to continue on my path so I can say confidently and effortlessly that I now have a bit of a healthier lifestyle because there are definitely still mornings that I snooze too many times. There are mornings where I decide to cancel my class pass and you know what I mean? Like I am really excited to get to a place where I feel complete balance within my life of the things that make me feel good and the things that I know I should do, as well as the things that I absolutely love to do and the things that bring me the most joy. So that's something I'm personally really looking forward to. And I'm proud of myself for continuing on the challenge. You know, there's something very, I don't know, there's something really cool about the idea that you are starting to achieve things or see results or see differences. So I hope that for other people that like myself, that that is enough motivation. If anybody uh, listening has ever, you know, been really successful in habit changes, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to hear what some of your steps were. And of course, I'd love to share with other people because I know I'm not alone. And again, like we're not exactly new year anymore, but I still feel like we're on the first quarter of the year. So people are still considering all these things before they give up, let's say, and roll that over to 2021. But Yeah, but uh, I mean, that goes for anything. If anybody ever wants to reach out to me, you know, whether it's advice for a topic, for an episode, or, you know, just feedback to an episode that you've listened to or support or whatever, I'm always ears. I love hearing from you guys. It is 
very strange um, to sit in my room with a microphone and basically pour my heart out and then really not be sure other than my mom and a couple of friends. <laughs> I have no idea who was listening to this. I'm incredibly lucky that I'm in the hundreds and I'm now in 67 countries. However, I don't know what your faces are. So <laughs> and I have no idea what type of people are listening. So if you guys ever want to reach out, please feel free. And then I can always do my very best to make sure that I'm producing episodes that are what you guys want to hear. So never um, feel like you can't do that. As we continue on, I've sort of dubbed this season two because I do want to make the slightest shift in the sense that I think when I initially, well, I don't think I know when I initially launched this podcast that I wanted to understand what self-love is. It ended up being the case that I started to understand what a lot of women do to feel their best, to look their best, to be their healthiest, and therefore those were all practices of self-love. So I've realized now that instead of this being sort of a show about the search for what self-love is, I want it to I would love to continue it to be the idea that we are understanding as many habits, techniques, mindsets, um, you know, tricks, et cetera, et cetera, that we can do to feel our best, to be our best, to be our healthiest, because those exactly are what we need to be doing to practice self-love. So there is that slight shift. Um, I don't think you guys are probably going to hear any real differences in the people that I speak to, but um, just a heads up for anybody that is curious about the change and about what is in store. But yeah, I'm really excited to be back with you guys. I'm really excited to produce a few more episodes and and see what comes of it. I always feel incredibly fortunate to speak to these women and I'm really excited for you guys to, you know, learn from them as well. I think it's a pretty easy way, given that you can listen anytime, to just sort of take some time for yourself and I don't know, just even to think about whether or not you're giving yourself enough self-love or self-care or attention is, I think that's a really important thing. And um, I'm proud of any of you that are listening to do just that. So speaking of the incredible women that I interview, I'll tell you a little bit about today. And as always, I am incredibly excited about today's guest. Now, it's a bit ironic because I ended my last episode before the break with an episode about my friends and asking them some self-love questions. You know, what do they do to practice self-love? What does self-love mean to them? And I think it was a really cool way for other people to relate. You know, I chose five different women from literally around the world with different, um, you know, lifestyles so that other women could feel a sort of resemblance or um, they could, I don't know, they could find similarities and feel some encouragement or some comfort from that. And I think that that was really cool. And I'm so grateful for those gals that uh, participated, as always. Um, But today I have an, I finally have the self-love professional that I've very much wanted to have since the beginning of this show. Her name is Dr. Shana Ali, and she is a mental health clinician, an educator, and an advocate dedicated to helping others understand the important role of mental health in fostering happiness, fulfillment, and overall wellness. She owns her own counseling studio in Florida, and she also teaches at the University of Central Florida and the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, and she blogs about 
modern mentality. And best of all, for my sake anyway, she is the author of the self-love workbook. And this is a book that I really, really recommend. I'm a Virgo. I'm totally somebody that loves to write things down, to look at lists, and to kind of power through things on my own time. And this book was incredible. We talk a lot about it in the interview, so I won't go into too much detail, but I will say that it is a workbook that allows you to work through many different steps that build self-love. So kind of many different steps within your own, I don't know, personality or person, I suppose. And it allows you to dive into your strengths, your weaknesses, what you can improve on, understanding where you need work, um, understanding what work you could do to improve that, to feel your best, to do your best. Um, and it's really, it's I, I personally found it really insightful and powerful, and I learned a lot about myself while doing it. So I was really excited to speak to her about it, but also to speak to her about her vast knowledge of self-love. It's a passion of hers, so she chooses to speak about it on as many platforms as she can. And through her actual education of mental health and, um, you know, psychology, she's able to come at it from a really, really powerful place. And um, I was just incredibly grateful to speak to her. So I will finally stop rambling and let you guys get to the conversation. And um, I just know that you guys are going to enjoy this as much as I did. I found it to be a really amazing way to finally understand what self-love is. So kind of a wrap up to season one, really, if we're chasing that theory and to understand the importance of it, why we should make sure that we're practicing it. And of course, how to therefore practice it. And then, of course, to live it every day. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Shana Ellie. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm genuinely so, so excited to speak to you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to have this opportunity. I love any opportunity to chat about self-love. So I appreciate you taking the time and also for being able to send some of those questions ahead of time. I appreciate I just like this is literally the exact goal I had when I started this project was to speak to somebody like yourself about this exact topic and have somebody with experience to answer these questions. So I'm so excited. Oh, um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's oh it's it's literally so exciting. Okay. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you don't mind, can we jump into you just telling us a little bit more about yourself? Sure, absolutely. So I am a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate. My primary role is as a therapist in private practice. I have a practice called Integrated Counseling Solutions in downtown Orlando. I also teach counseling courses to students who are training to be mental health professionals, which I absolutely love. And I also identify as a mental health advocate. So it can be things very similar to here, being able to chat with you today, writing about the workbook, or also trying to raise awareness pertaining to mental health stigma and how it's all of our responsibility to be able to combat that. That's amazing. Uh, Let me ask you one question. I I noticed this earlier when I was reading up a little bit about you, um, and I don't know if this is me just being really naive, but is Mm. the term mental health clinician new to the game? Because I always thought it was like counselor or therapist or psychologist, you know, the idea that it shifted towards labeling it as a sort of mental health doctor is like beautiful to me, but I didn't know if that was a thing or not. 
So to some people, it feels like it's just semantics. What's important to recognize as there's a lot of other, um, there's a lot of differences in the field in terms of training. So mental health clinician is a more broad term, and I prefer to use that. Um, My background, so for example, my master's degree is in clinical mental health counseling, and my doctoral degree is in counselor education. So for example, you could be also identifying as a mental health clinician if you are you went through a clinical psychology path. Um, so there are different variations. And even in the States, it kind of varies a bit in terms of license and certification per what state you are in. So there's a lot of variation there, but I really appreciate you asking this question because when people are going to counseling or if they're seeking out therapy, they're not sure what to look for. And sometimes that's helpful because for example, as a counselor, I don't work with prescribing medication at all. So if someone knows that they already have a diagnosis that they might benefit from prescription medication, then it might be helpful for them to also find a psychiatrist. Um, It doesn't mean that they wouldn't benefit from a counselor, but it means that they would have to understand that that counselor is not going to be prescribing. And there could be a benefit of having a collaborative approach between the counselor and the psychiatrist. So that's a kind of long-winded example, but you could see how it can seem as just semantics, but there are some differentiations in the field. And that's why I choose more general topics, like talking about myself as a clinician. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Just because, I mean, I am like super, super advocate for counseling and and therapy in general, but I Mm -hmm. think that there is still sort of not so much a stigma around going to therapy, but maybe what you're going for. So I think that it's really cool to know that, I don't know, just a different label on it can make it seem more approachable even, or just help people understand where it is that they best might fit or what might be best for them. Absolutely. And I think when it comes to stigma, one of the things that fuels that is fear, right? And a lot of times fear has to do with the unknown. So if you don't even understand like, who is a clinician and why, or why are some people calling themselves therapists? Why are some people calling themselves psychologists and others are not using that term? Like if if you have all of those unknowns, if you don't fill those gaps, it can add to that fear of, Oh, this is a domain that I'm unfamiliar with and it's intimidating to me. So being able to even have that differentiation to know what type of practitioner your provider is can feel informative and there can be some settling there that can reduce some nerves and it can seem less intimidating, which is really important to be able to develop that rapport that then kind of fosters the healing process. Yeah, I can, I think that's spot on. Cause I mean, even just like from experience, you know, you like type in like counseling in my area and it's like all of these things come up and you're like, okay, I guess I'll just go to which one's closest to me. But like, you don't really know. So if, yeah, if you can go into it with a little bit more confidence and a little less fear or overwhelm, then Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know. I just think that that's really cool. I mean, think about if you had a physical condition, right? You were showing some physical symptoms. Um, That would be really overwhelming if for some reason you didn't know who to go to. You know, imagine if you're having a very specific issue. Like say there's something going on with your lungs and you pull up all of the doctors and physicians that list that are in your area. You end up showing up at a cardiologist's office. I mean, that could be really disparaging for you to feel like I I made this appointment, I came in, but 
but there's a mismatch in knowing what you're looking for and what that provider is able to offer you. That can be really discouraging. And I've been speaking to a few people about this topic lately, actually, of how it can be frustrating to find the right provider for you. And I think not knowing those semantics between what does that mean when someone calls themselves a practitioner and when someone calls themselves a psychotherapist or when someone calls themselves a psychologist, that I think that could also help for you to refine who you're looking for and who could be right for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first read like mental health clinician, I was just like, so excited to think that people are realizing that because I was going to use an example, sort of like what you said, like, the idea that, you know, if you are if you break a bone, you know, you know what doctor you're going to see. But to just feel like there's, I don't know, I just think that it's really comforting to know that there's People can go and seek a, like a doctor for mental health now. It's not this weird thing. There's nothing wrong with you. People mm-hmm. understand that it's something that needs to be addressed and worked on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I appreciate your perspective on that. Yeah, so cool. Okay, so let's dive into the main topic of today because I could go on and on about things that are, and we're just not going to wrap our hands I love it all um, too, so I think that's um, fair. We could be here all day because yeah, I love it. Um, Kate, I would love to just get your, and so obviously I'm going to be asking you a few questions today. Uh, you certainly have the best perspective of anybody I've spoken to and way more than of what I've come up with in my own head. Um, but I totally understand if some of these are just opinions, so feel free to just Mm -hmm. like, let Mm -hmm. me know with what you're comfortable with. Um, Mm -hmm. but I would love to know, like, what is, what does like self-love mean to you or what is your definition of self-love? Well, first, I want to thank you for your really kind interpretation of realizing that my definition might be a good definition. So thank you for your trust. Um, It is something that I approach in every time I talk about self-love, whether it's with a client, whether it's someone who has questions about the workbook, whether I am teaching a class and this question comes up, I'm really careful about it. Because this is a topic that, yes, I'm very passionate about, and I believe we all need self-love. So I am really excited to share about it, but I'm really cautious about sharing my definition before I prompt people to think about their definition. The reason being is just because I know a decent amount about this topic and I care about it deeply and I've researched it and it's part of my job. I don't believe that I know it all. And I believe that self-love is a very subjective journey. So it's important. And I recognize that there is a power that I have when I say this is something I've worked on and it's important to me that people who are recognizing they need self-love might be really tempted to copy and paste my definition into their life. And there is a chance it could help. It absolutely could. But there's also this risk that it might not fit perfectly for them. And that can cause further discouragement. You know, so they're they're at this opportunity to finally invest in their self-love. They're ready. They have that courage, but then it doesn't fit. And then they feel a little crestfallen about that. So I'll share that first, that before I even go in and give you my rendition of what I have refined for myself as my definition of it, is I think everyone needs to think about what it means for them first. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay, awesome. With all that being said, so I'm hoping if everyone's listening, they pause it, take the time. <laughs> With all of that being said, though, I define self-love as the active practice of accepting, caring for, 
and encouraging oneself. So it's multifaceted in that way. Those words are really conscientiously put in order of you have to first work on your self-acceptance in order to care for yourself and then to build on from there, which is therefore encouragement. Um, but you could see how that trajectory is, you know, developmental in nature, but also cyclical. Uh, you go through that first, but it's a continuous process throughout your lifetime. Yes, uh, that was, yeah, totally something I wanted to ask you also. Like, there's this idea that, you know, once I get somewhere, I'll, I'll be good. So like, once I develop self-love, everything will be fine. But that's mm. not true. There's definitely, it, it's going to be forever, right? Yeah, I think so. So I do think this is one of those enjoy the journey and don't mm -hmm. get too caught up on the end destination and whatever you believe that looks like. Um, I do think that once you start to invest in self-love, things will be better. You'll yes. notice that for sure. But I don't think there's ever, okay, I've checked off all of these domains now and therefore I have arrived and I don't need to invest in this ever again. Um, I just, I think the visual of it is really helpful of fill your cup. So even if you fill your cup to the brim, awesome, good for you, but you're going to need the liquid from that cup, right? So if someone's drinking it, or even if you leave it out and it evaporates over time, then if you're not continually investing in that, it's going to run dry. So making sure that it is that continual process, that is definitely my view is that I, I do think it's a lifelong journey. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, I've hit a few milestones over the last few months that I started this journey and I was very naive to think, oh, I've like, I've mastered this, like I'm good now. <laughs> and then, you know, I realized like, oh, actually, like just because, you know, you can look at yourself a little bit more confidently in the mirror, like you've still got a long way to go, but also everything is always going to be changing. You know, my, my appearance will change over time. My lifestyle will change. And through that, I still need to continue to love myself as I am, not just only in this moment. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, um, but I, I do really love your reference of the cup because I feel like you've just taken it a step further than I've ever thought of, which is filling it up. But then the idea that people will drink from it and, you know, take your time and energy or even yourself, like over time, it'll just evaporate. You need to make sure that you're continuously filling it. That's actually never a perspective I've thought of before. I really like that. I mean, you don't fill your tank when you're driving your car and say, I've filled this up. Now I never have to fill it again. Right? Can, yeah. and we don't need other things for your car, like even an oil change or, you know, general maintenance. You don't do that and say, okay, I'm good for life. Um, so it's odd to me that we don't even do that with physical things that we use, but somehow we want to apply that to ourselves. It's fascinating. You know, you don't eat one meal and think I never need to eat again. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that somehow we get that mentality about things like self-love or other related mental health concepts of this one and done. And it's seen um, so simplistic and that makes it seem like it's easier than it is, you know, and that, that could be a mismatch too. If we're thinking it's easy to accomplish and then we can get it and we don't have to work in it, then there's a, there's a caution there. You could be setting yourself up for failure. Absolutely. I feel like this is the opposite of easy. It's like the most worthwhile work, but I don't know. I feel like you'd be kidding yourself if you said it was easy. Like there's just so much that you should want to learn and know about yourself, but then that might just be my own, you know, issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree with you that 
it is not simple, but I do agree with the notion that it can become easier. Um, so like once you are in that zone and you have like your routine about self-love and you've really improved your self-awareness and your conscientious and you're open to self-exploration, yes. then it can be easier. There's kind of like a threshold you have to get across. And once you're past that, it's easier to maintain. Um, but particularly in the beginning, it's hard. And when life changes and you come into hurdles, then of course it's hard then too. But there are zones that it can feel kind of kind of easy. And those are the zones. <laughs> Enjoy them when you get them. Yeah, totally. And I think that that'll change for everybody. You know, like some people might feel better about themselves physically to start off with versus, you know, like their, their profession and things like that. And, you know, we all have kind of have our own strengths. So if we, yeah, yeah we can kind of, you know, take what we can get as far as the easy steps and then go through it. But a hundred percent, like once you're sort of in the habit of it, or once you're starting to feel good about yourself, I think everything just feels better already. So even though the work might continue to be hard, you feel so good about yourself and the, and the progress that you've made that it, you want to continue further. Exactly. And that's where the momentum is really helpful of if you kind of start your journey in that way. I love that you point out recognizing we all have our strengths, but they're different, right? So you have to really reflect to understand what your strengths are to then use that to then pave the way for the things that are in progress and even the things that you may have larger opportunities for growth. If you go in that order of reflecting and thinking what you have first, um, that will help you to carry on forward. And it's something that I use a lot when I work with individuals in terms of improving their self-love is I kind of conceptualize the model that there are seven different segments. And the reality is it's really difficult to balance all of those segments at every given moment in time. So there's like this acceptance that something will be lacking when something else is strong, but at least it's not this all or nothing mentality of I'm either totally lacking self-love or I have it all. So for example, some people really do well with self-care because it's a behavioral aspect of self-love and it's a tangible thing that they can put on their schedule and do. So then great. So then recognize that as your strength. And then it may be harder to do some other areas like self-kindness or self-respect, but it's not that you're lacking self-love 100%. Use the area that's strong to fuel yourself to fill in those gaps. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a really good way to look at it because it also just takes kind of the intimidation away from it than thinking like, oh, I there's no way I can get there about myself physically right now. So like, why bother doing the work? But actually, no, I can learn to be kind of kinder to myself or, you know, I'm really good at, you know, prioritizing my time and self-care. So let me focus on that. And then in time, it'll just kind of fall into place a little bit more. Absolutely. I think that's something I find that happens often for people when they are coming to the recognition that self-love is important and they may be lacking it. They give themselves a disservice really by not recognizing what they already have. So even though you may be missing a substantial amount of self-love, you weren't intentionally fostering it before, there are some pieces of, I guarantee that for every person, there's at least some aspect that's already self-loving. They're just not giving themselves that credit for it already. Right. 
So then you use that, shine that light on that, and then use it. All too often, we see it as a full blank slate. And I think more often than not, that's not the case. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that we, I I, I know personally through this experience that I've had the last few months, coming at everything from sort of a place of gratitude or just acknowledgement has really kind of shifted my mindset. So mm-hmm. if we take the time to sort of turn inwards and just see what our, our our strengths are, like we've been saying, I think that that, it's just a really beautiful jumping off point because you realize that you don't have, you're like, oh, you know what? I'm further along on this journey than I already thought because I've actually already yeah. reached that. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so let me ask you then. So we were saying that, you know, once people realize that self-love is something that they should, you know, take time to to learn about and kind of we we both believe that it would better their their lives to do to do so and to learn to love themselves. Why do you think people hesitate to like invest their time in that or in themselves to do so? Is it the intimidation factor of thinking that they won't get there? Or I don't know, maybe is it like I know sometimes there's the idea that you don't want to become cocky. Like have you ever run across things like that? Oh, all the time. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that you are bringing up the point of hesitation. I would even venture out to take that starting point even further back of before even considering self-love as like, okay, I need this. There's a lot of hesitation before that, right? right? So really, once they realize they need this, they've actually sifted through a lot of that hesitation to recognize that. So it usually happens before. Um, and I think that there's a lot of different dimensions of where that could come from. And it's different from person to person, but it's the notion of what self-love is. So we started out by kind of talking about the definition. If your definition that's self-love is a narcissistic practice, then that's going to fuel your hesitation, right? Right. If you're thinking that it is some self-indulgent, self-righteous practice that you don't really need, how are you going to invest in it? You, you think it's a bad thing, you know? Um, I think self-love is not new as a concept, but I think throughout the history of self-love being emphasized, it has been given this connotation that it means self above others, self despite of others, um, careless and lacking compassion for others. And that really does not fit my definition. No, not at all. <laughs> I think, you know, we were using the cup metaphor. It is fill your cup so you can then spill over into others. If you don't fill your cup, you're not going to be hydrated and you're not going to be the best version of yourself to help anybody. And you're not going to have anything to offer them. So make sure you care for yourself, not only because of yourself, but because when you are your best self, you can better help others too. So self-love doesn't mean that all the love stays within you. It means that it starts from with you. That's where you can manage. When you hold those reins, you can then better love other people too. Um, So I think sometimes the hesitation is just having a poor definition or a skewed definition of what self-love is. And I think a lot of times that definition can come from misunderstandings, misconceptions, and society. 
So there are a lot of um, cultural variables here, uh, especially in collectivistic cultures. It's why are you even thinking about yourself? Like, let's think about the wider system here, you know, in in close families. Think about the family system before thinking about yourself. So self-love seems to go against the grain. But again, as I mentioned, it's not that you now pluck yourself out of all of these systems and you go, you know, live by yourself, don't connect anyone self, and you're just fueling yourself up for self-love that only benefits you. That is not the paradigm here. It's that you start from inside out. So technically, then those around you, whether it's your loved ones, your coworkers, your neighbors, your wider community system will benefit from that too. So I think a lot of times it's just a misunderstanding of what self-love means that causes people to have the hesitation of even wanting to invest. And then I think once they get there, there's still, okay, well, what is this? Is this, you know, all of my ego? Is this, you know, silly to be putting this time for myself when my child or my partner or my you know, coworkers need me? Am I being neglectful? So there's a lot of doubt that comes to the surface there. Um, and I think that it's it's not the most common approach. So I think that if you don't have self-love modeled for you in terms of social learning, it's really complicated to kind of uh, forge that path for yourself and for others. Yeah, I resonate with that so much because even just me, you know, launching this podcast, I am trying to explain it to people and I kind of feel like I need to be like, yeah, so it's a, it, you know, it's about my self-love journey, but I just want you guys to know that like, I'm not trying to become like super cocky. I just want to be like a happier, healthier version of myself. And that was like my initial reaction. I felt like I had to tell people that it was okay for me to do this. And then as I went on, I was like, actually, no, like I feel so much better after having like you know, learned from these women and started to, you know, implement these new habits. Mm-hmm. The fact that I can try and help these other people that might be listening to do so also, I'm mm-hmm. proud of that. And I'm no longer like in this weird bubble of like letting you know that I'm learning to love myself, but not too much. Instead, what I, what, with what you've also said, my kind of goal through each of my episodes is to remind people that they should be prioritizing some of their time if possible and when possible to focus, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes uh, towards their self-love journey or towards self-care. And through that, they'll become healthier and happier humans, which I think will just genuinely make the world a better place. Mm. So I don't know if that makes me like a super naive little girl, but at the same time, I just don't think there's anything wrong with anybody wanting to be healthier or happier. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. (laughs) So that's my goal. Okay. So I have two specific questions that are, um, I mean, I know other people will will relate, but I personally am excited to hear your responses about these because they, I I feel that they reflect my journey specifically. Um, Mm. One of them is, uh, I'd love to get your opinion on self-love and physical confidence, because I know for me personally, when I started this or, you know, like the last few years of my life, really, I've told myself that I didn't love myself because I wasn't in love with my body and I wasn't very confident physically. Mm. Um, I do believe that that's shifted a little bit for me now, but there is still a large emphasis on, um, you know, like the si- my size and my weight versus mm-hmm. the, um, the amount in which I love myself. And I know I'm not the only person. 
So I'm curious to know, like, why, I don't know if, why you think that might be or what it is we can do to change that. Like, I, I just know that like diet and exercise plays a big part in, in this role. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful question. And I love that you recognize that it, it is subjective, right? So it relates to your journey and it could relate to a lot of others and it might not be the same for everyone's definition, right? So that's important to recognize. So for my frame, which is combination of research, but also my experiences personally and professionally in counseling, I think what's important to recognize is I see self-love as being seven different segments, okay? So that includes self-awareness, self-exploration, self-care, self-esteem, self-kindness, self-respect, and self-growth. So if you lay those seven aspects out, usually where that physical aspect of, you know, body wellness starts to come in around the realm of self-care because it's what actions are you doing or what are you not doing? So it's more of a behavioral aspect right? and it's flourished out a little bit more into self-esteem because confidence is an aspect of self-esteem. And then it kind of builds into then based on your view of you and your worth and therefore your confidence, your efficacy, how can you be kind to yourself? How can you respect yourself? How can you continue to grow? So I definitely believe from my view that confidence in your own skin is absolutely enmeshed in self-love. And I, I, separate all of those segments for you. So you can see that it's not even in one segment, it's in multiple. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, I think the other two that we didn't talk about in terms of awareness and exploration, I think it's in there too. So some people will need to work on that more than others. It's really your assessment for yourself of what areas do you believe that your self-love is strong and what areas do you feel like there's room for growth? So if you feel that that's an area for yourself, that there's room for growth, you can feel that like heat of that dissatisfaction with yourself in that domain, then that means that's an, a more important part for you than perhaps the person standing next to you, right? So it's, it is different for everyone else, but I do believe it's threaded through in that way for most people. Absolutely. All this, honestly, this is just such, this is the exact conversation I've always dreamed of having because even just <laughs> talking about this, I'm, you know, we, we, we mentioned it earlier that there's different aspects that we might have as strengths, even though we don't realize it. And even yeah. you just like laying out those seven things, I'm realizing mm-hmm. that like, okay, self-awareness, I'm pretty good at self-respect. I've learned to be really good at, but yeah, mm-hmm. self-esteem is where I need to, to mm-hmm. do my practice. And that, yeah. I honestly can't even tell you. I just feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders because I realize it's like, okay, you know, I'm not struggling in this self-love thing. I'm just not, you know, I'm not focusing on the area that I need to be focusing on right now. And that just shifts the whole idea of it for me because, you know, part of me feels a little bit like a phony. Here I am, you know, you know, on this literal podcast talking to these other women and trying to help other people feel good about themselves when I still struggle myself or there are days where I just don't feel that great about myself. So Mm -hmm. it's so comforting to know that, you know, no, actually I'm on the right path. There just may be something that I need to focus a little bit more of my time on. Yeah. I mean, if I may, from my view, that sounds actually the opposite of phony is (laughs) I just don't believe that self-love. I I wouldn't want to I don't know. I got to tell you, I wouldn't want to hear someone tell me that, uh, oh, I'm telling you everything about this topic because I've got it all perfect. I I don't know. I think there's a degree of skepticism I would have 
in any mental health topic, when someone's like, I've got this down, this is the perfect method, you have to use it, which is probably why I'm so careful about sharing it. I do think it's helpful and I love being able to share and I love seeing people's minds twist and expand from it. But I also recognize like not all of this works for everybody and that's absolutely okay. So for example, there could be people you could ask that exact question to that believe that self-love means a hundred percent acceptance for where you are all the time. And it doesn't mean any degree of change or movement. It just means it is like, there's more of a, a present here and now approach of me as I am. I accept no past, no future, no nothing, just as I am right now that that's all that self-love is almost equating self-acceptance to self-love one-to-one. And that isn't the way I see it. I see it that that is an aspect of self-love to be more specific. I see self-acceptance as a segment in the self-kindness segment. (laughs) So it's like a dimension within a dimension. Um, So it is important and it affects self-love, but I don't see it as a one-to-one. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that I think that there's just so many different aspects to it that that can't be the way. Mm-hmm. And there's just something really, I don't know, I want to, I keep, I don't want to use the same words all, all over and over again, but like comfortable about speaking to you because I, maybe it is the way that you approach it, just being, reminding everyone that it is, this is the way that I look at it, but to kind of, it, it's very relatable to talk to you because I feel like it's a comforting um, a way of reminding ourselves, but also just I don't know. It's like, oh yeah. Okay. I'm not alone. I can do this. There's just, that's a really beautiful thing. And I, again, I think it just takes away some of the intimidation um, or some of the hesitation that some of us have going into this whole journey to begin with when you realize that you can, yeah, yeah, you're just already there a little bit. Yeah. That's really kind of you because I'm really conscientious about that. And maybe going back to the conversation we were having about, you know, approach in terms of being a clinician, as my main training is in mental clinical mental health counseling, I am really weary to not guide anyone in my path. You know, my way is the highway. The real like helpful mental health counseling is when you can sit with someone in their journey and help to be more of, you know, the compass or the person that reads the GPS or sits there when you need a tool or a resource, but it doesn't say here is the way I'm going to point it out for you. I know it. I've walked it. So you have to do the exact same way. That's actually unhelpful mental health counseling. So I think that paradigm that I can help someone without saying my way or the highway is really ingrained in who I am as a person now, because my primary role is as a clinician that I'm really careful. And I found that approach to be really helpful with the workbook of even in the workbook, it's left as a workbook, not a, you know, a biography of my journey of self-love because I'm really worried about someone taking my approach and trying to fit it and feeling discouraged when it doesn't fit for them because they're not the, the exact copy of me. They're not my clone. So there's going to be elements in the workbook that really help for other, for people. There may be things they want to add. And I say, so be it. Self-love needs to be a creative, personalized journey. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think that's so true. Just reading a book about, you know, what someone suggests for you to do or their experience, you know, I don't know if it's, obviously it's going to be beneficial for some people and that's great. But the Mm -hmm. idea that 
I think more often than not, it could easily be the case that somebody reads it and thinks, oh, I don't have the strength to be able to do what they've done or, oh, wow, I haven't done anything like that. And instead they do feel discouraged and they feel as though they can't even, you know, begin their journey. And that would be really tragic, I feel like. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I do think that works in many ways. I think my fear in putting this out, especially because it was a model that I developed that I started to use in a practical approach was I realized that it could be helpful for someone to hear my journey, but I would have to have this huge disclaimer all the time of this is only my journey. It may help. It may not. And then people would have to do all this sifting to think, okay, well, sounds like she talked about yoga. Maybe I should try yoga. She talked about therapy. Maybe I should. they'd have to draw these conclusions. And what I found that was missing and what made me really excited about the workbook and having that opportunity was more of a practical approach is many times people get to that. Okay. I realize I'm, I'm here now and I need it. Now what? Um, so that was my hope of kind of pulling out my story, but seeing how I can put what worked for me, what worked for my clients, what has been helpful in the literature and blend all that together to make more of like a guide that's hands-on. Yeah. Not to mention the aspect of while completing the book if you come across an area where you, you know, you've kind of responded to one of the prompts or you're doing one of the exercises and you find that there's a strength there for yourself that you weren't aware of before, I think yeah. that that's just like a, boot, a beautiful like little boost to your ego. Like you did yeah. that for yourself and you found that and that probably wouldn't be the case as often if you were trying specific methods that somebody else suggested for you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into the workbook or let's talk about the workbook. Obviously, let's get your, like, how would you describe it? <laughs> so it actually kind of relates to what we were just chatting about is I think it is a helpful approach for people who are needing more of a practical guide for self-love. So if you recognize that self-love may be important to you, even if you're in that zone of, hmm, I could benefit from growing in this area. It was designed to help people kind of work on that, challenge first some of their assumptions, figure out their definition. And then it kind of guides you there through the seven segments that I was mentioning before. But it's also created to be a guide that can be used more than once, which I found it to be particularly helpful in that way, that um, I often suggest that people take separate pieces of paper or have a journal by themselves by side by side with it. And then you can go back and do activities more than once. So it's a combination of, you know, there's some segments that things are explained and introduced, but a lot of it are, are different prompts, activities, ways that you can be more reflective in the different seven segments that can help you to cultivate self-love. Yeah. And I mean, I just, it's, it's a beautiful blend, <laughs> truthfully, of, you know, explaining some of your um, kind of your research and, and what you've learned, but also just, I can't get over some of the prompts and kind of questions that you ask. They're just so like, I, I feel like I'm very cheesy because I say this way too often, but I feel like it's very beautiful. Like the way that you ask these questions, because they're not questions that come across in every day. They're not questions that we often give ourselves time to even ask ourselves. And through it, there's no question that that's, I believe, where the growth comes from or where the learning about yourself comes from. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's very kind. Yeah. And um, am I correct that you have two versions, right? One's for teens and then one is, I guess, for older 
us folks? <laughs> so, the original version is the self-love workbook. And that was created uh, over a year ago now. But yes, we have a teen version that I'm very excited about that will be launched shortly this year. So it's scheduled for March. And um, I'm really excited about that because the one of the main points of feedback that I got when the book was released was, this is lovely. I wish I learned it sooner. I was yeah. just going to say that. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> yes, let's get the teens in there before it's like not too late, but before it's even harder. Yeah. To be clear, it's not too late for us. No. Either, but it's easier, right? Yeah. Like if you ever learned how to figure out the symptoms of a cold, it's harder to then wrap your head around that as an adult. It's, it's just the same thing. Some things are easier to learn when you're younger, like another language. And this is kind of in many ways, another language. Um, so I, after we got that feedback, it was just so resounding and it just felt right for me because I related to that very much too, is, you know, there's a lot of things I'm really grateful that I learned throughout my education, but I really wish I learned a little bit more about self-love. And sometimes I think, what if, you know, what if I did learn about it? How different would my life have been? Um, so I'm really excited that we're launching this new version of it. I do think that older teens could and have used the original workbook, but this is created more to be developmentally appropriate. So there's more explanations, things that are more adult oriented and might not meet the you know exploratory or cognitive level of a teen have been removed and things that are more helpful for teenage years are added in. So there's more delving into social media and bullying in the teen book than in the original book. Although social comparisons and bullying is addressed in the original, it's more um, fleshed out for the teen version. Uh, that is incredible because like you said, I have also asked myself a few times, like, you know, I wonder if 10, 15 years ago, I, I practiced self-esteem more, like what would my life look like now? And yeah. especially with this weird new life that is social media. I mean, I graduated from high school 10 years ago. I can't imagine being amongst that now. So I think that that would be a really, really cool tool for teens, but also for parents to like help their kids to know that like you can get through this with these tips or like remember that these are your strengths. I think that's just so cool. Yeah, I love that you bring up the idea of parents and what that means is it's not the thing that you necessarily purchase for your teen and hand it over to them and say, hey, good luck. This is something you should know. I think that there could be helpful conversations uh, that come from that. Now, it doesn't mean that the parent needs to hover over the child's shoulder and look and see what they're doing. And this is a very personal journey. So right. there should be respect for that, especially as a teen but also there could be that dialogue that pops up of, especially if the parent is using the other workbook, right? Yeah. So there's that modeling of like, this is okay. This is helpful for us to do. And, you know, maybe we chat about these things. I've heard some really lovely feedback that warms my heart about parents doing the workbook with their children. And, oh my gosh, that's so dreamlike to me. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's beautiful. <laughs> what I wanted. And, you know, even that is there's conversations that I think people don't know how to have that this can be a catalyst for. And I've also heard that many times the workbook highlights for people that they need more help than the workbook. And of course, as you know, a mental health practitioner and advocate, that's important for me too, of when the when you open up the workbook, and it's really, really, really difficult for you. 
um, it isn't easy. So I'm not going to say it should be easy, no. but if it's really difficult, then it might mean that there is a bigger problem there that the workbook can't solve. And sometimes that looks like therapy. Yeah, I think I think that that in and of itself is so true. Just the idea of what bringing the book home can do, whether that be you learning about what area you need to focus on um, or, you know, like you said, it just being able to have it as like a conversation starter towards other people. I mean, like I can imagine for some of my friends, like their boyfriends don't talk about this kind of thing, but maybe if the girlfriend's like doing the workbook and like the guy's like, Hey, what is that? He starts to question some of these aspects. Like, I just think that it could be a really beautiful way to sort of just make this a more everyday conversation for people. And also to help people, of course, learn what their current strengths already are or what they need to work on. And then through that, they can maybe focus a little bit more of their time on, you know, growing what it is that they need to work on. Exactly. Yeah, that is very, very cool. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I want to ask you two more questions. I'm sorry, I keep jumping back and forth a little bit, but I just have to ask. Um, uh, I want to get your opinion on how being single affects self-love. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that when you are single, it's the perfect time to invest in self-love because you are less likely to be distracted by the intensity of a romantic connection. So I think that's the perfect time to do it. And yes, I do believe it's better to invest in yourself first, that you can then be the best version of yourself to connect better with others. So if you're missing some of these gaps, you may start to try to fill that in with someone else. So for example, if your self-esteem is low, you may be seeking extra validation from someone else. And while that puzzle piece might fit a bit, it means you're going to be become dependent on that person to a certain degree. Yes. And I don't know if I believe that's the healthiest thing when it comes to the mental health perspective. So I do believe it's easier to try to start investing when you're single. However, the flip side of that is I've seen people start to neglect their self-love because they are in a relationship. So they think, well, I don't need self-love because I have love. And I understand the logic of that, but it's not necessarily the case. Again, going back to the definition that I believe that if you invest in your self-love, you can better love others, that it's not that you have to neglect it because now if you're still taking care of yourself, you can be a better partner. So I do think it's easier when it's when to start when you're single, but I don't think it should be neglected just because you end up finding a relationship that works for you. Absolutely. And again, it's just, you know, it's just basically the summary of what I think we're both trying to, you know, explain to as many people that will hear us is that if you practice self-love, I think you're going to end up being a healthy, a healthier and healthier human. And through that, you're just better for everyone around you. Absolutely. Yes. And I completely agree. Like, I think that there's something to be said, you know, like, I always refer to RuPaul's quote because I'm a fan of, you know, if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love somebody else? And I yeah. definitely agree that the more you love yourself going into a relationship or even inside of a relationship, you're just going to be better. But that's yeah. not to say that you have to wait. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it, it would be silly, I think, to enforce it against people to be like, oh, you haven't reached the level that you need to be at. Like, say no to to men or or whatever it might be but I definitely think there's something beautiful about knowing yourself more or loving yourself more first absolutely it does not have to be all or nothing by any means Mm -hmm. I completely agree okay also just curious because of your background 
um, about how things like depression and anxiety can affect self-love. Is it, you know, can it help us get better? Can it, can it impact the way that we are? Obviously it does impact the way we feel about ourselves. I'm curious to know if you think that there's any correlation or any, I don't know, way that they can help each other sort of. Yeah. And of course my view of this will be biased because of my field, Yeah, but my view and part of where the workbook even came from was I was working on this journey for myself and self-love really helped me to better cope with my anxiety. And then I realized that when I was seeing clients in counseling, that something that was kind of wide sweeping, regardless of diagnosis, whether it's anxiety, whether it's trauma, whether it's depression, what have you, is that people were also lacking self-love. Um, so from there, I was like, hmm, there's something to be noted about this connection. So I do believe that when you cultivate self-love, it's helpful to help you heal with your diagnoses, whether they're mental, whether they're physical, doesn't matter. So I think that self-love can be a healing factor in your life. Um, I do think that sometimes our, la- our symptoms could also be explained by a lack of self-love. So I could see it going in both directions, right? Yeah. And then you can also have a decent sense of self-love. But if you have a diagnosis that's more episodic in nature, or it comes in a cyclical fashion, or if you are dealing with an imbalance and you're not medicated or things of that nature, then it can cause you to feel like your self-love journey isn't working. But it could be just that, again, that interconnection. So I think it goes, if they do affect each other, and I think it goes in both directions. Yeah, I completely agree. I also think from personally, I suffered from depression and that's kind of where this all started for me was Mm -hmm. um, the idea of, you know, getting to a place where I finally feel good enough to start seeking help or try to, you know, seek improvements or changes. If I were Mm -hmm. to stumble upon a book that was sort of telling me exactly what I needed to do to feel better, if I didn't feel like I could get there, that would have knocked me back so far. And I would have been taking me even longer to kind of crawl myself out of that hole. Whereas coming across a book like yours, like the workbook, and just, I just can't even tell you like the idea of recognizing my own strengths, even in a moment of, or in the years or whatever stages of darkness, that Mm -hmm. would have meant everything just to know like, okay, you know what? I don't feel good right now. I don't even, you know, I say the way I describe it for myself anyway, was that I wasn't myself during that time. Um, -hmm. If I could have recognized some of those strengths in that time, I know that that would have been a huge shift for me to be, I don't like saying the word better, but like to get healthier sooner. Yeah. I relate to that very much. And I'll show that that aligns with a lot of the feedback that I've received, even people who, um, you know, if the, if the workbook seems complicated, it could be because of that underlying thing going on. So you might recognize something's off and you might think it's self-love and you might turn to the workbook to help you. And I think that's wonderful. But if you feel like you're hitting into a wall again, that probably means that the workbook is not doing it by itself. And the concern needs more professional help. Now, with that being said, I don't know if I necessarily believe that means that you have to now toss aside the workbook and focus only on your mental health journey. Mm -hmm. Again, it was designed to kind of be corresponding. So I've had, and I mentioned that I use it in counseling, 
but, and I use it for myself, but I also have heard a lot of counselors share about using it with their clients too. So if you are already on this journey of you've picked up the workbook and you find like it would be helpful for you and you're making that courageous step to better yourself by starting to see a therapist, then you can maybe bring the workbook in and say, do you think this could help me in any capacity? Or could we talk about things from here? You know, depending on your practitioner and their approach, they might be open to that and you can do both, but you're not doing the workbook by yourself because sometimes these concerns require professional help. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I just, once again, I just think it's a beautiful way to just open the door to like your own understand, understanding your mind better or how you feel better. And then mm-hmm. through that, you can easily use it as a conversation starter towards a friend or a family member who might be able to help you or to a significant other, if you want to have these conversations, or you could take it further and take it to a professional and say, you know, I was doing this work and this is what I kind of discovered. I'd like to work on this area or something like that. Exactly. That's yeah, that's very, very cool. Okay, so I don't want to keep you forever, even though I really could. Um, But I would like to just ask you like one more question. Um, For anybody that's starting this journey, what's like the one thing that you would tell them or that you would suggest to them? Mm, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would say so many things. So that's important to recognize that yeah. it's hard to do one. But I think this actually takes me right back to the beginning of our chat today when we were talking about the definition. Um, I think it's really easy to pick up any sort of guidance, whether it's from a friend, whether it's from a therapist, whether it's from a workbook. And when you know you're lacking, you may be tempted to just copy and paste. And that's not going to do you any good in the long run because this journey is so unique to who you are and subjective. So please first invest the time in thinking about what self-love means for you. I would encourage you to write it out. And even the hesitations that we were talking about and the misconceptions, write that out too and go ahead. And if you need to challenge that, challenge that and come up with a definition that first works for you. So you know what you're investing in and why, and then go ahead with going forth with either therapy, the work, what would have you, but make sure you have your grounding first of what it means for you. That was so well said. Understand what it is you're investing in and why. And I think just doing that alone, you're going to feel more empowered and more excited to do the work. Yeah, exactly. So cool. (laughs) This has literally been incredible. I'm so, so grateful that you joined me today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I love talking about this topic. So I appreciate the opportunity to share it with your platform. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed being able to have it. Um, Although selfishly, I was extra, extra excited to speak to her because I feel like it was such a long time coming to finally ask some of those questions someone to, to someone directly referring to self-love. So I may have enjoyed it just like a tiny little bit more, if I'm being honest. However, I really do hope that you guys also loved it. I hope that you were able to learn something or be inspired by it or just kind of feel assured by it in any way. I hope that it reached you on whatever level you wanted it to reach you, to be honest. As always, I will make sure to post Shana's Instagram and website on my Instagram and in the show notes. And if you were inspired to purchase the workbook and see what more you can learn and see what more you can work on and things like that, or even the teen version that is now or is almost available, I will absolutely be linking that as well. And 
I don't mean to be like selling or pushing anything by any means, but I will say that it was, the book is really an incredible tool. If, if this is a journey that you are specifically on and you are trying to understand yourself better, if you are trying to love yourself better, or if you are trying to understand where you need to work on what you need to do to, I don't know, to love yourself more, really, um, this is an incredible tool because it's, in, it's a very, very overwhelming journey to be on. Hello. Hence why I somehow decided to start a podcast because I thought this would help me. I don't think everybody has the resources or the interest or the time to do so. Um, Otherwise, there would be a lot of self-love podcasts, which I wouldn't be mad about, to be honest. Um, Kind of a cool trend to start, if you ask me. Not that I started it. I'm sure there are way more and way better ones out there. (laughs) Um, However, I just, yeah, like I said, the the journey can be incredibly overwhelming if you don't know where to start, if you don't know what to focus on, if you don't know what exactly you need to work on. If you feel that you need to work on everything, quite realistically, where would you go from there? So I I would recommend um, the workbook to anybody. And I don't mean that as like a selling point, but I just genuinely, um, as a personal note, I've worked through, um, I have used the workbook and I really, truly loved it. So yeah. As always, I'm incredibly grateful for you guys for listening, extra grateful that you've stuck through and you've listened to me upon my return. I'm really happy to be back. I'm happy to be in all of your ears once again. And um, yeah, just remember amongst the kind of unknown and the fear that's going on out there that we should keep your heads up and keep your hands clean. Have an amazing day. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more or to reach out, you can find us on Instagram at lovemepodcast or visit our website, lovemepodcast.com. If you like what you heard in today's episode, please take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcast, or you can subscribe from whichever streaming service you're listening from. New episodes are available every other Monday. Until then, I'll leave you with the wise words from the mother of all badasses, Jen Sincero. Love yourself while you've still got the chance.